Okay, so we are on, uh, it's kind of a hiatus before we get into a lot of the things about the structure of the universe, which we did cover in, uh, in the class that we had the other day <laughs> by Brahmatir Prabhu <laughs> and Murli Gopal Prabhu. But this is, it's a hiatus in the sense that these are really amazing, amazing prayers in this chapter by the different residents of Jambudweep. So it's connected because Jambudweep is talked about a lot in the structure of the universe. Um, but it's, it, and it's a hiatus in the sense that it's not about specifically the structure of the universe, but rather these incredibly devotional prayers. Uh, and this first one is one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bhagavatam, uh, composed by, um, Prahlad Maharaj. And, um, ready for this? We already heard a beautiful prayer by Prahlad Maharaj. Uh, in the last prayer, and now, may there be good fortune throughout the universe, and may all envious persons be pacified. May all living entities become calm by practicing bhakti yoga, for by accepting devotional service, they will think of each other's welfare. Therefore, let us all engage in the service of the Supreme Transcendence, Lord Sri Krishna, and always remain absorbed in thought of him. So before we continue, uh, we can chant together three times. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And if I can get this, this is what I was looking for. I'll put it in the chat. Um, Ravindra Swarup Prabhu, he translated this verse in a, uh, I don't know, what would be the word, uh, interfaith way or something like that, a way uh, that, that uh, maybe a, uh, a universal presentation of it, being very chaste, the Prabhupada's translation. Uh, and he used, he first used this, if I recall, in an interfaith program at the uh, <coughs> National Cathedral which Henry is very familiar with. And here it is. Whoops. Yes, there we go. And he, he, he translated it. May the entire universe be blessed with peace and hope. May everyone driven by en envy and enmity become pacified and reconciled. May all living beings develop abiding concern for the welfare of others. May our own hearts and minds be filled with purity and serenity. May all these blessings flow naturally from this supreme benediction. May our attention become spontaneously absorbed in the rapture of pure love unto the transcendent Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, both are beautiful. Um, the Sanskrit and Prabhupada's translation and Ravindra Suprabhu's uh, uh, translation as well. So, very nice. <laughs> uh, and let us now uh, go into the purport. I'm just uh, getting out of that. Yeah, okay. Uh, so Prabhupada, he starts out so nicely by, by the uh, prayer to Vaishnavas, which I think probably all of us know. Vancha kalpa tarupyascha kripa sindhu bhevacha paditanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namonamaha. 
And he said, Prahlad Maharaj, Maharaj did not ask for anything for himself. And this is going to, this is a, something that's going to come up in a lot of the verses that we're talking about today. About our, um, our motive when we're praying. Rather, he prayed to the Lord to, ex- uh, to excuse his demoniac father. This is the attitude of a Vaishnava who always thinks of the welfare of the entire universe. Prabhupada writes, the material world is full of envious persons, but if one frees himself from envy, he becomes liberal in his social dealings and can think of others' welfare. And by the way, in the translation, the synonyms for uh, kala, the envious, and then Prabhupada writes in parentheses, almost everyone. (laughs) Then a little further, therefore we should pray to Lord Nisinghadev to sit in our hearts. So this is I always I found this sentence next sentence significant because we 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 um, we say this prayer almost every day at least for those of us who live in the temple or maybe otherwise. So I just think you know we we often say this very standard prayer that Prabhupada taught us to pray. Uh, actually, it started I believe when he was ill, and uh, he said that we can say that, that you know you know Namaste Namaste. But here's a nice meditation for us as we're saying that prayer. We should pray, Bahir Nisinghlo. What does Bahir mean? Anyone? Yes, Prabhuji. Yes, Sudanda, what does it mean? Oh, sorry. Can you repeat the question? What does the word Bahir mean? Bahir Nisinghlo, Hridayir Nisinghlo. Uh, outside. Yes, Bahir means outside. Uh, bahir Nisinghlo, and then Hridaye means? In the heart. Right, so so we can be, think, we can be meditating on this next sentence as we're saying this prayer to Lord Nishingadev on a daily basis. Let Lord Nishingadev sit in the core of my heart, killing all my bad propensities. May my mind become clean so that I may peacefully worship the Lord and bring priest to the entire world. Now, how often do we think of that when we're saying, Bahir Nishingho, Jidayir Nishingha? But how, uh, how beautiful, huh? That is... There's so much in this purport. A little further down. Uh, when Prahlad Maharaj chants Om Namo Bhagavate Narasinghaya, which is the previous verse, he prays for a benediction from the Lord. But because he is also an exalted Vaishnava, he wants nothing for his personal sense gratification. The first desire expressed in this prayer is Swasyastu Vishvasya. Let there be good fortune throughout the universe. And again, we're going to talk about this more in, uh, in some subsequent verses, but this whole idea of what do we pray for, what do we desire. And then a little further down, <laughs> if the Krishna consciousness, this is a new paragraph, if the Krishna conscious movement spreads all over the world, and if by the grace of Krishna everyone accepts it, the thinking of envious people will change. Everyone will think of the welfare of others. So that's like the opposite, right? Envy is, uh, and we're gonna. I was planning on talking about this more a little later, but envy is this, you know, uh, <laughs> you want something that somebody has, um, and there's more to it than that. But, but here, instead of that, you're thinking of people's welfare. You're thinking of the same person, but in a totally different way. Therefore, Prahlad Maharaj prays, Shivam Mito Diya. In material activities, everyone is envious of others. But in Krishna consciousness, no one is envious of anyone else. 
everyone thinks of the welfare of others. So that is a standard that we should at least aspire for if we aspire for Krishna consciousness, to be no one, not envious of anyone and thinking of others' welfare. Therefore, Pallad Maharaj prays that everyone's mind becomes gentle by being fixed at the lotus feet of Krishna. Isn't that a beautiful, uh, that your mind becoming gentle? Usually it's raging and raging, right? And so instead, make it gentle. Um, did I quote last week uh, Thomas Merton? Anyone? I don't think I did. Um, Thomas Merton. <laughs> so it's scary because probably some of you don't know Thomas Merton. Andy, you must know Thomas Merton. No? Henry? No? My God, what is this world coming to? Uh, <laughs> Thomas Merton uh, wrote The Seven-Storied Mountain and some other famous books. Guru Das knows a picture of him. Uh, and Jay, Jay has read some of his books. Um, <clears throat> so he was a, uh, a Christian monk who unfortunately died in a very bad way. He was in Thailand and was reaching for the uh, fan uh, there, and he got electrocuted. But um, but this is what he... Uh, let me see if I can find it real quickly. It's such an amazing uh, statement if you think that it was written in 19... Uh, oh, wait a second. Oh, there we go. Uh, 1952. So he wrote this in 19... 19- 52, let me find it. Uh, We live in a society, so this is about a gentle mind and a very um, agitated mind. We live in a society whose whole policy is to excite every nerve in the human body and keep it at the highest pitch of artificial tension to strain every human desire to the limit and to create as many new desires and synthetic passions. Isn't that a nice thing? Synthetic passions as possible. Remember, this is 1952. In order to cater to them with the products of our factories and printing presses, movie studios, and the rest. Isn't, I'll put that in the chat just so you uh, have it for future reference. Okay. Uh, and somebody asked of this. So we're on 518.9 right now. Yeah, Henry, just thank you, Henry. Um, <clears throat> so here Prabhupada is writing that, uh, that may our mind become gentle and fixed at the lotus feet of Krishna. Bajatad Sajay. As indicated elsewhere in Srimad Bhagavatam, Savai Mana Krishna Padara Vindayo, very famous verse. Um, who is that verse describing? Anyone know? 9.4.18? It's describing Ambrish Maharaj. Yeah, thank you, Raghunandan Prabhu. And as advised by Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, 1865, Manmana Bhakta. One should constantly think of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. Then one's mind will certainly be cleansed. Cheto Darpana Marjanam. Materialists always think of sense gratification. But Pallad Maharaj prays that the Lord that the Lord's mercy will change their minds and they will stop thinking of sense gratification. If they think of Krishna always, everything will be all right. Isn't that nice, reassuring? Everything will be all right if you simply 
think of Krishna. So how to overcome envy? Think of others' welfare and always think of Krishna. And when we go out um, to share Krishna consciousness with others, it is such a uh, benediction because it is such a uh, <clears throat> fast track or uh, elevator to overcoming envy. Uh, I just, you know, I've had, I think I've talked about this before, experiences like, um, I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I'm not like Gurudas, I, I don't go out on Harinam Sankirtan every week or something like that, but I do notice that, because I deal a lot with, you know, the outside world having a job and all that. And then when I'm on, in Silver Spring uh, and chanting with the party or <clears throat> distributing books someplace or something like that, you just, it's like you, it's almost like um, putting on a new set of glasses. It really is. Because, you know, instead of, I'm not saying I see the world only for sense gratification, but I'm just kind of dull and dealing with the world in a very practical, external way. But when one is kind of a little, uh, you know, seeing oneself that I'm at least trying to be a devotee and I'm trying to help these conditioned souls, it's, it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different uh, consciousness. So uh, it, I know it's hard for a lot of people on, on this call. They, we have jobs, and, and on the weekends, you know, we may do a Nam Hatta program and stuff. But there, if there is an opportunity, it's, it's, very, it's very powerful. And I'm sure uh, Divya Anand Prabhu would be happy to engage you. <laughs> but... Uh, um, and I'm not trying. To, I'm not saying this to give people a guilt trip or anything like that. I'm just trying to say my experience that it, it it puts me in a different mindset when I'm sharing Krishna consciousness with others in the world, as opposed to just kind of, you know, going to you know pick up something at Safeway or you know going to work or getting some gas or paying my electric bill or something like that. It it um, it has that uh, accelerated. Uh, realization <clears throat> because you really don't want to be out on Harinam and you know checking people out this one's ugly and this one's pretty and all that no you want to be thinking this is so wonderful they're getting a chance to hear Krishna's holy name and so you're simultaneously thinking about his welfare and thinking of Krishna and that, we just said that that's uh, a way to overcome envy um and a little bit more, and then to see if you have any comments. Uh, and we can also pray for other people's welfare, even without associating with them intimately. Is it, does that make sense? Um, we can be uh, uh, praying for, well, Prabhupada once was, uh, he had this little umbrella at the end of a uh, toothpick. You ever seen those things? And he's twist, twirling it around, and it broke. And he just kind of laughed, you know, just kind of chuckled. And he, then he turned to uh, the devotee with him and said, my desire in this world is that everyone become Krishna conscious. Kindly help me fulfill that desire. <laughs> this was in Hong Kong, I think 1972 or 74. So <clears throat> we could be thinking of and, and praying to Krishna like we could be praying to Krishna, give me some intelligence how I can give people at work some semblance of Krishna. I mean, give them some prasadam. 
or just be a really good example of a good person or, or, or you know, whatever we can do or, you know, give them a, a set of Bhagavatams if, they, if we can do that. But the idea of, you know, finding, you know, praying to Krishna that, we, that, that he will benefit other people is very nice. And then the last point here, liberal in dealings. I, I thought that was a very, we're not talking liberal like liberal versus conservative. We're talking here about um, thinking of other people and their needs instead of our own little needs. <clears throat> so any thoughts on uh, this beautiful, beautiful verse? Or comments, questions? You were talking about sharing Krishna consciousness. I think that the devotee naturally wants to do that, and it, and it's frustrating, you know, when we're in situations where we can't. And I, I think in the back of our minds, we're trying to think, well, I hope a situation arises, or you know, I hope that they give me some opening to say something transcendental, because this mundane stuff is so boring and uh so yeah i'm i'm, I'm always thinking about that i'm actually calculating I'm, I'm machiavellian um in my calculations how to um introduce somebody to krishna consciousness i, I think about it very carefully and um, and it is so satisfying when somebody asks you a question and even more satisfying with that is if you you're able to give the right answer at the right time that's really magic really yes. magic. And I know that's true of you, Henry, because sometimes you'll call me up and say, I just met this person, I got a chance to give, you know, to tell him about Krishna or bring him to the temple or, you know, so I know that is your, your, your constant meditation. Other thoughts? Andy, you have your, your own Yeah, view? Yeah, uh, I put a quote on my Facebook page, which is a quote from uh, one of the purports by Prabhupada, and it's basically the same thing that you just said from Merton, he said about materialism. And I've got a lot of likes from all kinds of people, some I'm sure who are atheists, but they just liked, uh, can I read the quote real fast? Sure, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's see. No, it just, in fact, we went over this not long ago, but he just said, unfortunately, in modern civilization, men are busy killing the cows that are the, that are the source of yogurt, milk, and ghee. They're cutting down all the trees that supply honey. And they're opening factories to manufacture nuts, bolts, auto, automobiles, and wine instead of engaging in agriculture. How can the people be happy? They must suffer from all, all the misery of materialism. Wow. <laughs> people like that. Yeah. They had to see that it was, it was listed as a quote from Prabhupada, but they still liked it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts? I just wanted to uh, uh, confirm what you said about Harinam, and I think my experience is it's, it's, the, it's the fact of the association that I'm, I'm there, I'm with other devotees, um, and the focus is the holy name, the focus is just, um, and it's, that makes, it makes, it, it, it relieves the mind of a, uh, for lack of a better word, of, a, of, a, of the burden of having to do like you guys were just describing. Henry was describing how can I give Krishna consciousness to this person, that person on our own, or at least on my own, I find myself very weak or very weak-minded as far as that goes. I can't really, <clears throat> you know, think of 
how to do it. But um, in in association with other other devotees, it it brings you to a different uh, yes, it's mindset. Yeah, because it's sam sam kirtan together kirtan. Yeah. Yes, very nice. Um, yes, and and one one small thing we can do because you never know what Krishna will arrange is have a few of uh, of Srila Prabhupada's books in your car with you at all times. And because you never know who you're going to meet at the gas station or at the Patel brothers or <laughs> I, uh, uh, I went to the Patel brothers the other day. Somebody was one of our congregation. Oh, it's such a big, it's like a, it's like a Safeway. It's so huge. And there's everything you'd ever imagine. You'll feel like you're back in India. <laughs> so I, I went there and I was, uh, I just had my, my little, um, um, 26 beads on a, you know, a small thing, just like to, you know, so just like chanting a little extra on my beads as I was walking around. And uh, I ran into Prem Sindhu Prabhu there. And and he was, I'd never been there, and he was he was so happy, he was showing me around. This is where you get the achar, and this is where you get the, uh, the atta and the stuff. But I didn't, so it wasn't exactly a book, but I, you never know who you're going to meet. And I seem to run into devotees I've, I can't tell you how many experiences I've had running into running into devotees. Even when I was going to the Olympics in 1976 in Montreal, and I I took the bus from New York, so I went to the bus stop, the the bus station, the uh, Port Authority building, and I run into Pragosh Prabhu, and he actually it's funny he sells me a fifth canto part one, <laughs> and. Uh, and I was reading it on the way. And, and then uh, the devotees uh, in Montreal had a huge Harinam every day during the Olympics. And I'd run into them. And, and I, anyway, I've had so many, I'm sure we've all had so many examples of just like uh, running into devotees. So I kind of, I must admit, I kind of felt good that I, I had some beads in my hand. Well, you know, like maybe it'll it'd be a little impressive to frame to do that. I'm chanting while I'm shopping. Not, not, you know, that we should be chanting our 16 rounds when we're shopping, but, you know, <laughs> but it was just, uh, you never know who you're going to meet. And you might, and we all know that, that one, somebody, how many times probably people even on this call, they got a book and that changed their life. Okay. And we have a few chats here. Uh, so is para duka duki, para suka duki, para suka suki, or a dookie suki, having happy seeing the happiness of others and sad seeing the sadness of others. And then uh, Prahlad Maharaj will, will study this in Bhakti Vedanta. I am not at all afraid of material existence for wherever I stay, I am fully absorbed in thoughts of your glories and activities. My concern is only for the fools and rascals who are making elaborate plans for material happiness and maintaining their families, societies, and countries. I'm simply concerned with love with them. Oh, nice. And Krishna Prabhuji, the, it didn't paste right. It's para dukha dukhi and para sukha sukhi. Okay. That's, I was wondering. I, 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 I was, anyway, I just blindly read it. <laughs> but what we don't want to be, and envy is para sukhi dukhi. We become happy when we see someone else's distress. Right? That's envy. Right? Oh. Yeah. Right, Andy? 
there's a lot of shades of envy. I didn't yes. get into this. But in, in the coming verses, he gets obsessed with envy. If you start highlighting them, it's all over the place. Yeah, well, we're going to talk more about envy in uh, one of the later purports that I did for homework. Okay, let's move on. So, does someone else want to say something? Well, just reading this quote of Prahlad Maharaj, it seems like the opposite of envy or the antithesis of envy. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> I just got to get my notes up here for the, the next verse is a very, another, like, <clears throat> in terms of the number of times Prabhupada quoted it, he quoted it more than uh, eight or nine. This is verse number 12. And I just, um, <clears throat> So let's, uh, one second, let's look at that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, first let's, I said we're going to read each. So these are, we're continuing, <clears throat> excuse me, the prayers uh, by Pallad Maharaj up until verse 14. So this is verse number 10. My dear Lord, <clears throat> we pray that we would, may never feel attraction for the prison of family life consisting of home, wife, children, friends, bank balance, relatives, and so on. If we do have some attachment, let it be for devotees, whose only dear friend is Krishna. A person who is actually self-realized and who has controlled his mind is perfectly satisfied with the bare necessities of life. He does not try to gratify his senses. Such a person quickly advances in Krishna consciousness, whereas others who are too attached to material things find advancement very difficult. By associating with persons for whom the Supreme Personality of Godhead Mukunda is the all in all, one can hear his powerful of his powerful activities and soon come to, come to understand them. The activities of Mukunda are so potent that simply by hearing of them, one immediately associates with the Lord. For a person who constantly and very eagerly hears narrations of the Lord's powerful activities, the absolute truth of the Personality of Godhead in the form of sound vibrations enters within his heart and cleanses it of all contamination. On the other hand, although bathing in the Ganges diminishes bodily contamination and infections, this process and the process of visiting holy places can cleanse the heart only after a long time. Therefore, who is the same man who will not associate uh, with devotees to quickly perfect his life? So one thing here, um, and, and, and just an aside, it's not one of the verses we, we quote, uh, we were studying uh, or going into depth about. But I find that in the Shastra sometimes, they'll kind of sometimes uh, make something more relative, but the purpose is, is to glorify. So the purpose, you know, most people think that going to a holy place or Ganges, your, your, uh, your average person, oh, that's how I'll get purified. And so here, the, the it's not really putting down the Ganges or putting down a holy place, but it's emphasizing the, the, the uh, hearing and chanting. Because elsewhere, we know that um, uh, living in a holy place is one of the five most potent items of bhakti, right, in, uh, in the nectar of devotion. So I just thought I'd mention that, because sometimes we might get a little confused or um, by, wait a second, but elsewhere it says this. So here it's the... The point, the, the what we should, the main takeaway we want from this verse is about the importance of the sound vibration. 
and hearing narration of Krishna's activities. Uh, I want to move on, but do you have any thoughts on that? That is an important point as people who are studying Prabhupada's books. It seems this verse is addressing those who go to these holy places with, you know, many other things on their minds. Exactly. Uh, they go to the holy places to take bath, but not inquire from the, uh, what is that verse? Uh, the right verse, Saiva Gokura is how it ends. Uh, how does it begin? Does anyone know? Okay. Yasyatma buddhi kunapetri datuke. Swati kalatra dishu boma i jadi. Is it Yatirta buddhi salilena kadichit? Kyaneshu abhigeshu saeva gokara. Right? Did I get that? Yeah, so <laughs> I already told you that, that that time I was giving a class and I was quoting that verse. And I, you know, how people are in Maya if they think their place of birth is worshipable. And my rascal son raises his hand and says, my, my place of birth is worshipable. Mm. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so now, very, very famous verse. Let us look at it. Yasyasti bhaktir bhagavatya kinchana savayargunas tatra samasate suraha harera bhaktasya kutomaha gunan haguna manoratena asato dhavato bhakti all the demigods and their exalted qualities, such as religion, knowledge, and renunciation, become manifest in the body of one who has developed unalloyed devotion for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudev. On the other hand, a person devoid of devotional service and engaged in material activities has no good qualities. Even if he is adept, so even if he has some good qualities, even if he's adept at the practice of mystic yoga or the honest endeavor of maintaining his family and relatives, why does he have no good qualities? Because he must be driven by his own mental speculation and must engage in the service of the Lord's external energy. How can there be any good qualities for such a man? So, um, this uh, there's a lot here, right? So, so is, is Prahlad Maharaj saying that only devotees are capable of having good qualities? You know, because we, 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 the purport, there's a list of them. And are, are only devotees clean? Are only devotees kind, poetic, truthful? Well, no, no, it's not the case. But the point is that, is that our, the, a devotee's values and qualities are, this is what the purport's trying, the first trying to say. A devotee's values and qualities are fixed and steady because they're, they come from a desire to please Krishna. So even making the endeavor, uh, the attempt purifies a devotee's heart. Um, and, uh, not, but for non-devotees, however, they, they, uh, they for non-devotees, they, it, it, at least this verse is saying that they do not have that constant absolute reference point. That's the point, okay? They don't have that, that reference point of Krishna's lotus feet. So even the kindest person can be shifted uh, because they could be influenced by the modes of material nature, uh, which are which influences the, the state of one's mind. So you know he so he's saying He must be driven. 
uh, by his own mental speculations and engage in the external energy. So Maya can capture non-devotee, but a devotee clings to Krishna's lotus feet as his or her life and soul. Now that doesn't mean we're at that stage of devotion yet, but that's what that's the point that's kind of being made here. And then the uh, Prabhupada quotes the 26 uh, symptoms of a devotee. Um, and also uh, in the, in the uh, Krishna Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami, he, he cites this verse to indicate, he says that all good qualities take shelter of bhakti. Isn't that interesting? All the good qualities, they take shelter of bhakti. So that by performing acts of devotion for Krishna's pleasure with our body, with our mind, with our words, um, we develop devotion to him. So that so that's so the qualities come automatically. They they they, they just they follow the bhakti. They don't so they don't come to the devotee because the devotee is cool or wears tilak or whatever. But they they follow bhakti devi into the heart of a devotee. And uh, Jiva Goswami also says that the demigods with the qualities of knowledge, renunciation, live in the devotees. He says that bhakti causes good qualities like knowledge and renunciation. And I also saw Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. He says that um, this, this verse is praising devotees uh, and also that devotees attain this, this uh, through devotion, as was mentioned you know, in the verse that we just studied or we just read. Uh, so he says that the both the demigods and all the good qualities dwell constantly in devotees who share, who, who give Krishna consciousness to others. So there's a lot there in this one verse. Um, it's a very beautiful verse. I also heard Prabhupada once say on a lecture, um, what is the use of their good qualities? So the same point, just said in a different way. What is the use of their good qualities? Some thoughts? So the question could be raised, well, should we try to develop these qualities or just develop our Krishna consciousness and these qualities will come? And the answer is yes. <laughs> you can do both. <laughs> right? Naturally, we want to focus on bhakti. That is part of our bhakti. We... we um, well, of course, we want to be surrendered to Krishna. We want to be steady. We want to control our senses. We don't want to eat too much. We, we want to be merciful, friendly, expert, etc. Yet we understand that by that these will really manifest when Krishna allows them to, or you know, and, and they're attract, and or you could say the demigods bestow them upon us, um, being pleased with our bhakti through Krishna, of course. So any, any thoughts on yes, yes, the bhakti or bhagavatya kinchina? Yes, Prabhupada, you have a comment? Yes, you um, In the Narad Muni's pastime, um, one of the verses, Prabhupada writes in the purport that by serving the servants of the Lord, one gradually gets the quality of such servants. So Narad Muni, as he was serving the sages, he got the same um, attraction towards Krishna, hearing about Krishna and serving Krishna. Very so good. like when we serve the devotees, we get their credit. Yes, 
Very, very nice points. Yes, when we serve the devotees, we get there. Yes. So we should always be finding ways to serve uh, devotees. Uh, when Nora, Nora, I was just reading this one in this um, this beautiful book by Sitala Devi. Can you see it there? Uh, the Glorious Life of Srila Narottama Das Thakur. So he organized the first Gora Purnima festival in Ketri. and his But his whole meditation throughout the, the setup of the festival was not even so much, will Krishna be pleased? Of course, that's there. But was pleasing the visitors, pleasing the devotees. It was, you know, the, the accommodations have to be first class. The prashadam has to be first class. Everyone has to be taken care of. So thank you for that, uh, Sugata. Yes, yeah, so such a important point. And therefore, devotee praise, Narottambasana. Atandara charana sevi, bhaktasanevas, janame janame hoi e abhilas. That my only desire, birth after birth, is to get the association in, of devotees. Atandara uh, charana seva, serving the lotus feet. That's the way, that's the way it works. I was thinking of your earlier Thomas Merton quote in relation to this about how in the material world basically we are praising those who exhibit you know what would be called good qualities um, you know if somebody uh, does some heroic act to save somebody's life or uh, you know all the first responders in the pandemic and things like that. We're, we're in the material world. That's that's all the materialist knows or sees to to, uh, to praise, but um, without information of devotional service. Right, and we appreciate that also. We appreciate when people do good things. Um, no question. It, yeah, uh, and we have uh, even greater appreciation when we see people do great things in the service of the Lord. Anantarup, are you just going off of uh, uh, onto video or did you want to say something? Yes, so if I can make a comment here. So I'm reminded of uh, Lord Krishna's teachings in Bhagavad Gita. There is a whole chapter on divine and demonic nature. Um, I happened to read sections of it last week, so I was relating... Uh, what is mentioned here in this verse, um, you know, all good qualities manifest in a devotee who engages in devotional service. And, uh, you know, um, it's mentioned there that living a regulated lifestyle. In Gita, it's mentioned engaging in devotional service, living a regulated lifestyle, understanding what is duty, what is not duty. By the regulations of scriptures, one should act so that he may gradually be elevated. So, um, on the contrast, you know, the demo demonic nature and the characteristics yeah. are also mentioned there. Yes, but he tells Arjuna first, don't worry, we're not talking about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just to just mention that uh, it's a gradual process and we do experience a lot of peace and happiness. Uh, you know, it's a gradual process, but we can already see for certain that is that does happen, that when we engage in serving, it makes a big difference. Yes, thank you for that. 
So let's continue, verse 13. Just as aquatics always desire to remain in the vast mass of water, all conditioned living entities naturally desire to remain in the vast existence of the Supreme Lord. Therefore, if someone very great by material calculations fails to take shelter of the Supreme Soul, but instead becomes attached to material household life, his greatness is like that of a young, low-class couple. One who is too attached to material life loses all good spiritual qualities. And I think this is the last prayer of Prahlad Maharaj. Therefore, O demons, give up the so-called happiness of family life and simply take shelter of the lotus feet of Lord Nisimhadev, which are the actual shelters of fearlessness. Entanglement in in family life is the root cause of material attachment, indefatigable desires, morosis, anger, despair, fear, and desire for false prestige, all of which result in the repetition of birth and death. And one of the reasons, why do we put that family up? It's not exactly the family life, but one of the characteristics of materialistic family life is envy. Um, One, the prestige of the family name, and, you know, I'm a Saraswat Brahmin, and you're a whatever, and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's just all of the Janasimo Hoya Mahama Metis that go along with with that. So, that was that was Prahlad Maharaj's prayers, and now, um, like okay, I'll just really briefly. Here's a summary of Prahlad Maharaj's prayers. In in verse eight, he begins by offering obeisances to Nishingadev. He and his associates then pray that the Lord appear in their hearts to try uh, to uh, to destroy ignorance and any tendency for fruitive desires. Uh, and by His mercy, they wish to become fearless. And then in text nine. Prahlad prays that the universe filled with auspiciousness through the absorption and service and remembering Krishna. Uh, in text 10, uh, that, that they will be, he prays that they will naturally become detached um, and their needs will be simplified. And then in text 11, why is such association important? Because in devotee association, we can hear about Krishna and purify our hearts. With pure hearts, our devotion will increase. And then in 12, um, with increased devotion, our natural qualities, uh, good qualities appear, and the good qualities non-devotees possess are mixed with unfavorable qualities and ultimately born of false ego. And then in 13, those who are materially attached uh, and thus forsake the supreme soul can have no true greatness. And then finally, uh, therefore, give up material attachments, take shelter of the Shingadeh, the source of fearlessness. Nothing good can come from remaining materially attached. Okay, so now from verse 18 to uh, verse 23, is Ramadevi prays to Kamadevi. Okay, so we are on verse, well, verse 15, the Sukadeva song. Uh, he says, in the tract of land called Ketumala, Varsha, Lord Vishnu lives in the form of Kamadeva, only for the satisfaction of his devotees. These include Lakshmiji, the goddess of fortune, the Prajapati, Samvatsara, and all of Samvatsara's sons and daughters. The daughters of Prajapati are considered the controlling deities of the knights, and the sons are the controlling de- are, 
are considered the controllers of the days. The Prajapati's offspring number 36,000, one for each day and each night in the lifetime of a living being. At the end of each year, the Prajapati's daughters becomes very agitated upon seeing the extremely effulgent disc of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus they all suffer miscarriages. In, K- in Ketu Mala, Varsh, Lord Kamade, Pradumna, moves very graciously. His mild smile is very beautiful, and when he increases the beauty of his face, he slightly, uh, by his slightly raising his eyebrows and glancing playfully, he pleases the goddess of fortune. Thus he enjoys his transcendental senses. Accompanied during the daytime by the sons of Prajapati, the predominating deity of the days, and accompanied at night by his daughters, the deities of the nights, Lakshmi Devi worships the Lord during the period known as the Sambatsara, and in his most merciful form as Kamadeva. Fully absorbed in devotional service, she chants the following mantra. So now these are the prayers. Mrs. Prabhupada writes this is a very important prayer. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of God, the Rishikesh, the controller of all my senses and origin of everything. As the Supreme Master of all bodily, mental, and intellectual activities, he is the only enjoyer of their results. The five sense objects and 11 senses, including the mind, are his partial manifestations. He supplies all the necessities of life, which are his energy, and thus non-different from him. And he is the cause of everyone's bodily and mental prowess, which is also non-different from him. Indeed, he is the husband and provider of necessities for all living entities. The purpose of all the Vedas is to worship him. Therefore, let us all offer him our respectful obeisances. May he always be favorably uh, favorable towards us in this life and the next. Okay, wow. And in the purport, Prabhupada says that in this verse, the word maya maya is further explained in regard to how the Lord expands his mercy in different ways. The energies of the Lord are understood in different ways. In this verse, he is described as the original source of everything, even our bodies, senses, mind, activities, prowess, bodily strength, mental strength and determination for securing the necessities of life. Indeed, the Lord's energies can be perceived in everything. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Rasoham, Apsukhantaya. The taste of water is also Krishna. Krishna is the active principle of everything we need for our maintenance. Okay, so he gives everything. And in this verse, uh, off, uh, this verse, uh, offering respectful obeisances unto the Lord was composed by Rama, the goddess of fortune, and is full of spiritual power. Under the guidance, listen to this. Under the guidance of a spiritual master, everyone should chant this mantra and thus become a complete and perfect devotee of the Lord. One may chant the mantra for complete liberation from material bondage, and after liberation, one may continue to chant it while worshiping the Lord in Vaikuntha Loka. All mantras, of course, are meant for this life and the next. As Lord Krishna confirms, Satatam Kirtayantamam, etc. Always chanting my glories, endeavoring with great determination, bowing down before me, the great souls perpetually worship me with devotion. A devotee who both in this life and the next chants the Maha Mantra or any mantra is called Nitya Yutto Pasaka. Okay. Wow. So, um, sorry, just looking, finding my notes here. Okay. So if we if we consider um, this verse in light of Canto six, 
chapter 19, verse 13. Let's look at that. 6, 19, 13. If I can find it. 6, 19, 13. Okay. Uh, and here it says, Mother Lakshmi, who is here, is a reservoir of all spiritual qualities, whereas you manifest and enjoy all these uh, qualities. Indeed, you are actually the enjoyer of everything. You live as the super soul of all living entities and the goddess of fortune in the form of their bodies, senses, and minds. She also has a holy name and form, whereas you are the support of all such names and forms and the cause of their manifestation. So in other words, we're talking here about the relationship between Lakshmi and, and Vishnu or Krishna. Um, and Prabhupada writes, there is no need to worship him, Krishna, for material benefits. Oh, so yeah, so this is the point that I thought was, uh, there's a lot of points here. Um, in the purport to 6, 1913, by the way, uh, Prabhupada quotes Madhvacharya, and that's Sampradaya, who, of course, we, we have, we're in agreement with in general, but they tend to think of Lakshmi as um, kind of a uh, empowered jiva, Shaktyavesha avatar. But we don't see that as such. We uh, look towards the Vishnu Purana, Prabhupada says in the purport, where it says that she is a constant companion of, of Vishnu and therefore is called Anapayani. She is the mother of all creation. As Lord Vishnu is all-pervading, his spiritual potency, Mother Lakshmi, is also all-pervading. So yeah, Prabhupada makes that, that small uh, distinction there. But the, I think the, 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 maybe one of the important things here is that uh, it says here indirectly that when Lakshmi, when Lakshmi Devi favors a devotee, she makes him wealthy. <laughs> she, she gives her blessings in that way, right? Um, and for us as devotees and who have studied Prabhupada's books, that's... You could say that's uh, interesting because we also know that Prabhupada was um, fond of quoting. Um, let me just find. Yeah. Oh, actually, I know why I'm uh, why I'm kind of spacing out a little bit here because this point really comes up more in verse twenty-one, right? But um, uh, where is it? Hold on, give me a second. Here. No, sorry, verse twenty-two. So let's let's. Go forward to verse 22, just because I'm making this point, so I might as well make it completely. So in 22, um, O Supreme Unconquerable Lord, when they become absorbed in thoughts of material enjoyment, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, as well as the other demigods and demons, undergo severe penances and austerities to receive my benedictions. But I do not favor anyone, however great he may be, unless he is always engaged in the service of your lotus feet. Because I always keep you within my heart, I cannot favor anyone but a devotee. And so then Prabhupada in the purport makes a distinction between Lakshmi Devi's favoring and Durga Devi's favoring. Right? He says, in this verse, the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi Devi clearly states that she does not bestow her favor on any materialistic person. Although sometimes a materialist becomes very opulent in the eyes of another materialist, such opulence is bestowed upon him by the goddess Durga Devi, a material expansion of the goddess of fortune, not by Lakshmi Devi herself. Those who desire material wealth worship Durga Devi, etc., etc. Uh, by praising goddess Durga, one can attain, obtain such benefits, but since they are temporary, 
they result only in maya sukha. It's illusory happiness. As stated by Pilad Maharaj, maya, maya sukhaya padram uh, udvahato vimudhan. Those who work very hard for material benefits are vimudhas, rascals, fools, because such happiness is not, will not endure. On the other hand, devotees like Pilad and Drumaraj achieve extraordinary material opulences, but such opulence were not maya sukha. So there is that distinction, right? But we also know um, that Prabhupada was very fond of quoting Yes Yaham Anubrinami Harishita Janamshrai. That my first mercy shown to my devotee is to take away all his material opulence. So we can go, wait a second, what's going on here? <laughs> right? Um, but I did, you know, I tried to do a little uh, research into this and see what Prabhupada says about this verse. So in uh, the fourth canto, he says, It is said by the Lord, and he quotes that verse. The Lord told Yudhisthira Maharaj that his special mercy is shown to his devotee when he takes away all the devotee's material opulences. Generally, therefore, it is experienced that Vaishnavas are not very opulent in the material sense. And he goes on and on. But then in, uh, where is this? In the eighth canto, Prabhupada quotes the verse, and he says that this is a special favor of the Lord towards a sincere devotee. If a sincere devotee wants Krishna above everything else, but at the same time is attached to material possessions, which hinder his advancement in Krishna consciousness, by tactics, the Lord takes away all his possessions. Okay. But then there's other quotes. So the point is that if, I, I like this point here, that uh, if we, you know, in other words, if we're not very bright, if we want Krishna, but we have other attachments, then Krishna makes arrangements. But if we're, Smarter than that, Krishna can give the devotee all, all opulences. So it's not just, uh, Krishna deals with us individually. I think we have that experience. I mean, even on this, on this call today, there's probably some devotees who have a, a good bank balance and some who are working paycheck to paycheck. Right? So Krishna deals with us differently and also we have our karma. There's a lot of, uh, different, um, elements that go into this. But, I mean, if you look at Srila Prabhupada, he, he would quote that himself sometimes when he looked at his, his business went kind of down the tubes. But then he became one of the richest people in the world, right? He had a, uh, mansions in Detroit and Italy, and, you know, uh, George Harrison's old house to live in in, in in England, millions of dollars coming in for his book fund. Of course, he didn't use one paisa for his sense gratification but he became <laughs> extremely opulent. So um, I just think that's important to have that balancing act because sometimes devotees can read that verse from the 11th canto, yes, Yahamun Agrinami, and start, you know, saying maybe they should, shouldn't chant so well <laughs> because they don't want to show Krishna they're really sincere. <laughs> so some thoughts on all this? I know I went on for a while there. Well, you know, um, were you talking about Bhaktivedanta Manor? Yes. Well, you see, actually, you know, George specifically bought that for the devotees. He never lived there himself. Uh-huh. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought it was his previous residence. How nice. And there's a George Harrison garden there. And I was there when they were um, dedicating it, and George's wife was there and her son. 
you know, Sham Sunder, you know, um, I guess George, you know, Prabhupada was out of town and he, he, he told Sham Sunder, George told Sham, or, or Prabhupada told Sham Sunder to mention to George that we might need a bigger place than Burry Place because it was just packed up. And sure enough, you know, George said, so how are things at Burry Place? And so Sham Sunder was able to say, well, we're really full up there and we could use a bigger place. So, uh, so George said, well, just go on down to the real estate agent and tell him, you know, and start looking for a place. And, uh, of course, once they found out that, um, of course, first they wouldn't even talk to Sean Sunder, but then they found out that George Harrison was behind him. And then they would, um, as soon as they found that out, they would start doing this thing They where they would pump up the price and, like, they'd find the right place. And then the real estate agent would say, well, I've got an Arab prince that wants to buy it for his, you know, family and is offering more. And they just constantly were trying to trick him. So, and, and trying to steal money from George, of course, they smelled money. So, so, um, so finally, George, you know, George said, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're only going to do the price, you know, but actually Sham Sunder picked that, that, that building out. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Other thoughts on uh, verse 18 or 22? Okay. I think you guys, you all want to make sure we finish this chapter today. <laughs> uh, so then we'll go back to 21. My dear Lord, you automatically fulfill all the desires of a woman who worships your lotus feet in pure love. However, if a woman worships your lotus feet for a particular purpose, you also quickly fulfill her desire. But in the end, she becomes brokenhearted and laments. Therefore, one need not worship your lotus feet for some material benefit. Now this, purport, you have to put your seatbelt on a little bit for us to understand what's being said here. Because first, Prabhupada quotes Rupa Goswami, uh, pure devotional services, anyabhi lashita shunyam gana karma anavritam. We talked about this last week. That we should approach the Lord, we should worship the Supreme Personality of God. Uh, we should not. We should not worship him to fulfill some material desire for success and fruit of activities or mental speculations. To serve the lotus feet of the Lord means to serve him exactly as he desires. So that's devotion, right? You, you serve anukulyena, something that's favorable to Krishna. Okay. So then uh, Prabhupada talks about how Krishna reciprocates with such a devotee. And he quotes the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9, verse 22. Prabhupada writes, the Supreme Lord personally takes care of anyone who com- is completely engaged in his devotional service. Whatever he has, the Lord protects, and whatever he needs, the Lord supplies. Therefore, why should one bother the Lord for something material? Such prayers are unnecessary. Okay, so we got that. And then he says, but Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur explains that even if a devotee wishes the Lord to fulfill a particular desire, the devotee should not be considered a sakama bhakta. Now, for some of us who study Bhagavad Gita, took bhakti shastri, and remembered sakam, uh, sakam karma yoga, nishkam karma yoga, and bhakti yoga, this might come as a bit of a surprise. Uh, in Bhagavad Gita 7.16, Krishna says, chatur vidha bhajantevam jana sukriti norvujuna arto jigyasa artarti gani O best among the barges, four kinds of pious men render devotional service unto me. The distressed, the desire of wealth, the inquisitive, and he who is searching for knowledge of the absolute. 
the Arta and Artarti, who approach the Supreme Personality of Godhead from relief, uh, for relief from misery or for some money, are not Sakama Bhaktas, hmm. although they appear to be. Being neophyte devotees, they are simply ignorant. So they are, it, it's, that's interesting because it seems that they're praying. They, they, they want money. They want freedom from misery. It, that seems to be the definition of sakama. But here it says that they are not sakama. They appear to be. But really they are neophytes and they are simply ignorant. Later, Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Udara sarva evaite. They are all magnanimous, udhara. Although in the beginning a devotee may harbor some desires in due course of time, it will vanquish. And later Prabhupada says, even if one wants something material, he should pray to no one but the Lord to fulfill his desire. So I have some idea to explain this, but first maybe I'll turn to you. Knowing your background in Bhagavad Gita, knowing in your background of that verse, Anyabhilashita Sunyam, how do you explain this? Raghunandan Prabhu, how do you explain this? Uh, Mahamantra Prabhu, Sudanda, Nandamuki, Prima Taranganis, Jay, Shakshi Gopal, Jiva Tapa, somebody help. Uh, Divya, anyone? <laughs> Sharadiya, Mum, Bhavan. Durdas, Andy, Henry, Prajbihari, somebody. Can I attempt? Yes, please attempt. Uh, this is talking about a, a, a devotee who is in a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord, and the Supreme Lord is taking, taking care of the maintenance of mm. what one has and what one needs. So there is that direct relationship with the Supreme Lord. But whereas in the case of a normal Sakama person, that person just has materialistic desires and that person might have the tendency to approach the demigods to fulfill the materialistic desires. Okay, okay, good. Jiva? Hare Krishna Prabhu. So Lord fulfills even the desires which may appear materialistic. Madhvindapuri's example is there where he was uh, visiting the temple at Gopinath and he saw the shir being offered and he had this sudden desire that if I could taste this, then I can make it for Gopalji. Right. So again, and Lord fulfilled that desire. So again, a devotee, <clears throat> even though may get a desire which may appear materialistic, but in reality, on the background, the focus is on pleasing Lord Shri Krishna. Ah, okay. I like I like that. Uh, I, uh, thank you, both of you. So, yeah, but let me pick up on Oma Mantra. You, did you want to say something? Yes, Prabhu. Yes, please continue. Uh, so, like when we were studying from the fourth canto, Prudhu Maharaj, he uh -huh. was praying, I don't know what is better for me. But you know what is good for me. Okay. To the Lord. So, I I think like it's it, we we need to focus on developing our relationship with Krishna. Uh, then it becomes like mother knows when to give a coat to the child when it is cold. Mm. Child doesn't have to ask for. Very good. Very good. 
So these are these are all good. Uh, I'll just tell you that I picked up. Uh, uh, Jay, did you want to say something? No, no, it's fine. Okay. Uh, I picked up primarily on Jiva Tatrakugu's point um, that so so for the for for those of us on this call, we've we've been studying Prabhupada's books now. It seems like uh, for eternity, <laughs> and we're still in the fifth canto. But uh, besides that, um, we we know better. Right, we we know that we should have. We know what the goal is. We know that we should be, um, uh, just having you know anyabilashita sunyam kana karmana. We're just totally uh, absorbed in Krishna and trying to please Him. We know that that's the goal, and we can even feel Krishna's reminder when when we when some things come in our mind that are not up to scratch, not up to that that standard, right? Whereas a person who doesn't have that, they go up to, you know, Radha Madan Mohan and they're really praying very sincerely, please give my, my son the uh, entrance into Cornell, right? Um, or whatever. So you see, you see the difference there? They don't know yet. They haven't gotten the knowledge yet or the association yet to know the goal and just not be necessarily reaching it yet. But they're really sakama. They're really going to... Whereas for a devotee, I think the best, the, the example that Prabhupada used to really like to give is the devotee is like the um, unripened mango, or at least in our stage, right? Uh, and so I'll just read a, a few things about, about mangoes. <laughs> uh, prema is mature condition of bhava, just like a ripe mango and green mango. Green mango is the cause of ripe mango. You got that? Green mango is the cause of ripe mango. So... So even if right now we may be somewhat green, we're not necessarily Sakama devotees. We're just haven't fully manifest the pure bhakti. But to taste ripe mango is better than unripe mango. Similarly, being a, uh, before attaining love of Godhead, you have got different stages. Just like the same mango, it passes through different stages. Then one day it becomes nice yellow color, fully ripened, and tastes so nice. Um, another that was. Uh, from a lecture in October of 68. So another one. In the first stage of Krishna consciousness and the last stage is also, so the first stage is Krishna consciousness and the last stage is also Krishna consciousness. The difference is one stage is immature and the other stage is mature. When it is mature, then you taste it nicely, just like mango. In the unripe stage, it is mango. In the ripe stage, it is mango. But in the ripe stage, you can taste nicely. In the unripe stage, the taste is different. Uh, and then one more. Just like Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has given the mango in the ripe stage and unripe stage. Unripe stage, it is bitter. But the same mango, when it is fully ripe, it is sweet, the sweetest. We shall have to wait for this stage. And we shall have to be careful that we may not commit offenses. Then we surely we shall come. Just like it's... Okay, so then one last one. I like this one because I just bought uh, some achar at uh, Patel Brothers the other day. <laughs> Mango, uh, lime, achar. Prabhupada, sometimes unripened stage also it is very palatable. So many achar. And then all the devotees start laughing because this was given in uh, class in Gorakhpur. You see? So it is nice. Mango is so nice. Either ripened or unripened. It is always good. And that goodness may be tasted by different types of men. But mango is always good. Mango is mango. Falakaraja, uh, king of all fruits. So devotional service is king of all processes. That 
That is its position always, either ripened or unripe. It doesn't matter. So that's my understanding here. So we will, uh, the, the devotee who has the goal, Prema Pumarta Mohan, may be unripe, but they're, they are a mango. And if they follow the process, they'll reach the ripened stage. So it's not that it's a different thing. It's not that it's, it, it's, it's pure devotional service in, in the unripened stage. And that was almost exactly what we were hearing last week in chapter 11, verse 20, uh, chapter, Canto 11, verse 20, 27 and 28, if you recall. Maybe uh, Sudanda can paste, paste that again in the chat. Right, that, that it, it was kind of talking about unripe mango devotees, wasn't it? Right, that the devotee knows that sense gratification is miserable, knows that bhakti is the goal, sometimes can't live up to that standard, um, laments, and still remains happy in devotional service. So that was my, that was the best thing I could, my understanding of uh, this verse. And I think it connects quite closely uh, with what, uh, Jiva Prabhu was saying. Then that's not to put down what Raghunandan Prabhu and Mahamatra were saying, just that I picked up on that. And uh, thank you. There is the link to that verse. Anything further on this? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Um, just one thought that came to me is just um, how Rupa Goswami says when he's talking about the definition of pure devotional service. Um, you know, the expectation is not that somebody is completely pure and he has absolutely no other desire, you know, when he's beginning. Because otherwise, that definition wouldn't apply for a sadhaka. Mm. So he explicitly makes the point of how that definition holds good, uh, you know, at the stage of sadhana as well as at the stage of prema. So that's so, similar to what we were saying, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right? I'm just trying to, yeah. you know, just Thank make that. that additional... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's very ripe, unripe mango. To, exactly. Uh, speak. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Anything else? Yes, Nandimuki. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Love to participate in your class again. Please do. Um, I was just hearing. Uh, I was just thinking, like, because this is the second one. The verses from Bhagavad Gita is a vision from Krishna himself. He is naturally magnanimous and recognizing the devotion in whatever person who approaches him. Nice. Yes. Yeah, and even a one step towards Krishna, he takes a thousand steps towards us. You can imagine if you, you know, the, the two birds in the tree example that that one bird has been waiting a long time for the other bird to turn around. <laughs> a long, long time. And I was, uh, yeah, yes, long time. Thank you for that, Nandimuki. So shall we continue? Um, so that was 21, and we did 22. Second. So maybe instead of reading it first, I'll read. Uh, I'll go through a little summary. So the summary of Lakshmi Devi's prayers, which was verse eighteen to twenty-three. Uh, she, so she glorified the Lord as Vishnu Tattva, Kamadev, Prajumna in six in these six prayers, 
In text 18, she, she begins by offering her obeisances to him, by whose mercy uh, he provides the senses, mind, and intelligence, as well as the power to use them to the jivas. And these elements are manifest from him, but separate from him. He is also the protector of all living entities. And then in 19 and 20, she explains that only the Lord is independent and therefore qualified to be the supreme husband, the fearless shelter and protector of every woman. And then in 21, she, uh, Lakshmi Devi states that there is no need to worship the Lord for material benefits because she meditates on the Lord in her heart. She favors only his devotees. Uh, that was in 22. And then she remains eternally submissive to and dependent on Lord Vishnu. Although uh, in text 23, she considers the Lord's devotees dearer to her than uh, dearer to Krishna or Kamadev than she herself. Okay, so now the next set of prayers is by uh, Vaivashvatamanu, uh, who's worshiping um, Lord Matsya. And that's 28. So this will probably be the last one we can cover today about envy. 28. O Almighty Lord, at the end of the millennium, he, this planet Earth, which is the source of all kinds of herbs, drugs, and trees, was inundated by water and drowned beneath the devastating waves. At that time, you protected me along with the Earth and roamed the sea with great speed. O unborn one, you are the actual maintainer of the entire universe of creation. And therefore, you are the cause of all living entities. I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. Prabhupada writes, Envious persons cannot appreciate how wonderfully the Lord creates, maintains, and annihilates the universe. But devotees of the Lord can understand this perfectly well. And then at the end of the purport, all the wonderful transformations of nature are happening under the superintendence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Envious persons cannot see this, but a devotee, even though very humble and even if uneducated, knows that behind the activities of nature is the supreme hand of the supreme being. So, um, first of all, you know, envious people, we, we, sometimes we might think envious people, they kind of like have horns coming out of their head and, you know, uh, fangs for teeth. Uh, but envy... Our, our, our ultimate and original envy, of course, is towards Krishna himself. And let's, the definitions of envy, it's from the Latin word invidia, invidia. And it's an emotion which occurs when a person lacks another's superior quality, achievement, or possession, and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it. Now, do you see how we can be envious of Krishna based on that de definition. I'll say it again. It occurs when a person takes another superior quality, achievement, or possession and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it. Isn't that interesting? So we, 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 we have this, we still have, we're working on cleaning this out of our heart, this envy. Uh, Aristotle defined envy as a pain at the sight of another's good fortune, um, stirred by, quote, those who have what we ought to have. And Bertram Russell said that envy was one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. Not only is the envious person rendered unhappy by their envy, Russell said, but that person may also wish to inflict misfortune on others to reduce their, 
re reduce their status. So, and I think it can manifest even in us. Let's say we're really trying to get everyone uh, happy. We're really trying to love Krishna, but in a in a subtle way, when we think, and I'm guilty as charged here, um, we think anything is more important or a better use of our time than hearing about Krishna, because that hearing about a great person that could make us more envious or but in, when it's about Krishna it purifies our heart but we don't want to hear so much and we can't or we can't hear 24 hours a day like Prabhupada mentioned in that previous report um, because we still have that other things we want to hear about and and it's too much sometimes to always be hearing how great Krishna is what about me you know, but just like the person with jaundice who takes sugar cane, uh, cane, and in the originally it tastes so bitter. Slowly, slowly, one gets a uh, a taste for it. So I, I think that you can even manifest. You know, if we just look at our own lives and and how attentive we are to chanting Krishna's names, and how much we want to spend our spare time hearing about Krishna. Um, those other things that distract us from that, or, or, or rather our attraction to the distractions, is one other way, especially for an aspiring devotee, to define envy. Because it's just really hard sometimes to just accept that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and I'm meant to just give him pleasure. But what about me? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to give me pleasure? The mind says in so many uh, gross or subtle ways. So the, the envy is, is deep-rooted, but fortunately the holy name is deeper and more powerful, and it can cleanse that. So um, I'm going to see if there's anything in my notes else that I wanted to say about envy. Hmm. Yeah, the, this distraction. Oh, here. Uh, and and this point about how bhakti overcomes envy. This is from a lecture Prabhupada gave in 1966 in New York. Uh, it's about the power of love. Excuse me, just for a second. There we go. Uh, the point that Prabhupada's making here is that one's consciousness determines one's understanding of of reality and that you know uh because we the purport was talking about our perception of reality right that uh envious persons cannot appreciate how wonderful the lord creates maintains and annihilates so Prabhupada is talking in this um let me find it in my notes in this thing about that our consciousness determines how we see reality so he says, even philosophical speculations are fruit of activities. If it is offered to the Supreme Lord, that is not love. Love is above this. So if one can achieve that unalloyed love for God, with that magic wand, the eyes become eligible for seeing God. And that eye is called the devotional eye. By the contact of spiritual service and devotion of the Lord, 
we can gradually spiritualize our whole act of senses. Just as an iron rod put into the fire, gradually the temperature rises and it becomes warm, warmer, warmest, very hot, and then red hot. When it is red hot, it is no longer iron, it is fire. Similarly, by our contact and devotional service of the Lord, we can change the whole position of our material existence. If we have developed, if we have developed to that state of unalloyed love for God, then God can be seen 24 hours. Not that once seen and again not seen. No, this is described here. The Santaha, the great unalloyed devotees who are liberated souls, have no connection with material activities or philosophical speculation. Because the eyes of such unalloyed devotees are smeared with the ointment of love, therefore they uh, can see the Lord, uh, Sadhaiva, always, 24 hours. So our perception of this universal form and, and our, you know, as in the context of the fifth canto is very much based on our consciousness. So some thoughts on envy. Yes, um, Go ahead, Suganda. Yes, Prabhuji. I was thinking that uh, with bhakti, we can get a higher taste in doing bhakti. And so um, the lower tastes of sense gratification from material things go away. Uh, so in that way, we don't envy others who have some material things that we don't have. Right. right. Thank you. Henry? Well, you know, I was just thinking of the uh, the German word schadenfreude, which is, um, you know, taking joy in another person's um, problems, you know, actually it's a German word. And, um, you know, that's how, I mean, that's like the real, there's no English equivalent to that word. <laughs> like, you have to be German to be that evil like me, you know, and, um, you know, it's, um, it, it, so there, it, there's even actually different grades of envy. And I will say honestly that I think it's, in practicing Krishna consciousness, we find some envy. You know, we don't really know how deeply seated it is and how strong and dangerous it is. But gradually we uncover it and we're just shocked. We're just shocked when we find our hearts are, you know, are that envious. Yeah. And of course, there is spiritual envy. Prabhupada gives the example of the gopis that when one gopi is praising Krishna more than them, they say, oh, it's so wonderful. Let me try to do better than them. And it's all, so it's obviously not material envy. Yeah. Anything else? So, we only, we did well. We only have one verse left in this chapter, um, 38. And then, next week, we shall uh, go into a description of the islands of Jambavan. And this, during the week, I'm going to decide how we're going to cover this. Because like I said, in general, because here there, there are, there's a mixture also, there is some real philosophy. But when it's specifically just talking about the structure of the universe, we, we will skip those things because we did have a presentation on that. And like I said, if you have any further questions while reading these sections, uh, we can send them all to uh, the devotees of the Bhaktivedanta to get answers. So thank you very much. Stay safe. Chant Hare Krishna. Okay, thank you. All right, Prabhus. Thank you very, very, very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.